good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. It's been a while since we've been here, uh, about three weeks, I guess. We went to some other churches uh, to preach, and then my mother's funeral was uh, this past week, and so uh, we've not had services, and uh, she was uh, in the hospital the previous Sunday. So uh, I do appreciate everybody that's uh, prayed for us during this time of losing mom, and uh, I know she's much better off. And with dad now, and speaking of dads, happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And uh, and, um, I'm grateful for the time that I had with my dad. And uh, I miss him, but I know he's better off as well. Um, We'll get a few prayer requests here before we get started. Uh, Remember, uh, our brother-in-law, Wayne's sister, Martha Roberts, has cancer. Also, Pray for Marcine Anderson. She had surgery Thursday and is at home now. She was a former church member. Her daughter was requesting prayer. Uh, remember Angela Bowman in your prayers. And um, I think there's some I probably failed to write down on this list. But uh, remember all these. Remember the lost. Uh, pray for other churches that are preaching the gospel. Uh, good news out of uh, Brother Johnson's church outreach. They had two saved in Bible school this past week. So I know they're thrilled about that. And uh, so am I. Uh, anyone that's uh, saved ought to be glad about that. And so thankful for that. And uh, we're back into our um, Gospel of John sermon series. You pray for me today. I'm seeing kind of scattered for some reason. Um, but... We're going to be in John chapter 3, looking at verses 22 through 30, Lord willing, this morning on the message I've titled, He Must Increase. Now, typically, I'll preach a Father's Day message on Father's Day, but that's just not where the Lord had me today, so uh, we'll just be right here in this study, and so you pray for us as we as we try to preach. And we'll go ahead and read our text, John chapter 3, Start with verse 22. The Bible says, After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoice greatly because the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Please help us now as we try to preach here for just a few minutes on this text. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. As we pick up here in the middle of John chapter 3, where we left off last time several weeks ago, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, who had came to him in the night, has now ended. And so now uh, the gospel writer John, as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things in the life of Jesus that, that occurred next after that. 
And so that's why we see there, we see the phrase, after these things. Now we know that's referring to all those things previously said and done in, in Jesus' ministry thus far, still early on in his ministry. Don't know exactly how long, uh, uh, some months, possibly even close to a year. Uh, but uh, after these things, now all those things took place in Jerusalem, those things previous to this uh, in the, the last uh in this chapter anyway, because they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, but now we see that uh, Jesus and his disciples has departed out of the city of Jerusalem. They're still in uh, Judea. Jerusalem's in Judea, but they're still in Judea in a, in a different area. And it says there, after these things came Jesus, his disciples into the land of Judea. There he tarried with them and baptized. All right, now this is interesting to note right here. This is the only place where we see uh, actually it mentioning Jesus being involved in the baptism, except for himself, his, his own baptism. However, we do know by reading the Bible and rightly dividing the word of truth that Jesus himself did not baptize people. Uh, in fact, in the next chapter, in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we see that truth. It says in John 4 and 1, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, and then there it says in verse 2, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So we see Jesus wasn't involved in the baptism of people that uh, were being saved, repenting and, and being saved. Uh, his disciples did all that uh, in, for him. And so that's interesting to note. Now look at the next verse, verse 23, John 3, 23. And John also was baptizing in, in uh, Inon near uh, Salon. Now I looked up these, uh, these pronunciations on these words. I've always pronounced them wrong. I've always pronounced them Enon and Selim. And that's not how they're pronounced in, in Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means whatsoever. Uh, but according to um, Blue Letter Bible, which I always go for my pronunciations to make sure that I'm trying to say them right. Anyway, it says it's Inon and uh, Salim is, is how they say to pronounce these. So the location of this is a little hard to pin down. Now uh, You can go online and Google those, those places and you'll find suggested places for that location. Now, most people believe it was about four miles northeast of Jerusalem along the Jordan River. And others believe it was the same place mentioned in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 33, verse 18, where it says, And Jacob uh, came to uh, Shalem, Shalem, the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. I'm having a lot of time, difficulty today talking for some reason. I don't know why. I just pray for him. Um, anyway, so the location of these, this places, uh, Inon and, and Salim, uh, difficult to say because the Bible doesn't come out and tell us exactly where they're at. Um, uh, John, uh, John MacArthur in his commentary, he states this, he says the exact location of this reference is disputed. The phrase may refer to either Salim near Shechem or Salim that is six miles south of Beth Shean. Both are in the region of Samaria. Ainon is a transliterated Hebrew word meaning springs, and both of these possible sites have plenty of water. Uh, that's in John MacArthur's Bible commentary. All right, 
Look at verse 24, John 3 and 24. It goes on to say, For John was not yet cast into prison. Now, we know from, of course, studying the Bible and being in church all of our lives that John was eventually cast into prison. He was beheaded uh, there by Herod. We know that. Now, the Gospel of John doesn't give us all the account of John's arrest and his death. Uh, the details of it. The Gospel of Matthew does. Over in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, I'm not reading it, uh, but just reference it if you want to. That's where it's given. It's the only place in the Bible that gives details about John's arrest and death and the reasons for it. Now, we know the reasons for it was because um, John had accused Herod of doing wrong because he had married his brother's wife, and uh, then he had, of course, that... Uh, uh, that whole incident where his his wife had her daughter go and dance a lewd dance in front of Herod and told her to ask him for John the Baptist's head in a charger. So that's uh, the reason John was beheaded, because he defied the king and uh, infuriated the queen, and she in turn had him killed. And so all this happened before that, is what the gospel writer saying, for John was not yet cast into prison. All right, verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Okay, so we find a little dispute going on between the disciples of John the Baptist and some Jews concerning the purification process uh, that had somehow to deal with John's baptism and questioning of, of Jesus' baptism. Now, the Bible, again, doesn't go into great detail about what this really was about. It may have something to do with Jesus and his men re-baptizing uh, the people that had been baptized under John the Baptist because we know that was a problem in that day because we read about it. If you want to turn there, look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Acts 19, 1 through 6. Of course, this is after the church had been empowered. This is after Jesus' arrest, uh, his crucifixion, his burial, resurrection. Uh, 33, 35 years later or so, all this occurs in Acts. Acts 19, 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so there may have been a question about this rebaptism that was going on when Jesus and his men were baptizing believers. Uh, perhaps they had already been baptized by John the Baptist, and then they got rebaptized again. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say that's the reason why, but that is a possibility. Another possibility is that maybe they thought that Jesus' message was different than John's message, and they saw John's baptism as some sort of purification, such as the Jews carried out. The Jews had a purification process they would do involving water. It wasn't uh, immersion and in, in fully full immersion like John did. 
but perhaps they were relaying that uh, purification process unto John's baptism of, of being immersed and saying that was a purification process. Uh, and so it may have looked like uh, some type of purifying. And then when Jesus comes along, he's baptizing people. Maybe they're thinking, well, was, was John's baptism real? Because if Jesus is the Messiah, we know it's real. So that may be another possible reason. We don't know. But the whole problem really lies upon, it looks like there's some jealousy going on with those that follow John and then uh, seeing people follow Jesus. It looks like they're kind of envious of his, of his ministry and the people that are following. We know that's a fact because they mention it. Uh, look at verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizest, and all men come to him. <laughs> all right. What do you think the motive was for these men to come to John with this? What was their motive? I mean, were they just trying to cause trouble? Were they actually concerned? Was they really deeply concerned that maybe people being mis misled or or what what was it? Was it legitimate? I don't think so. I think there was jealousy. I think they were envious of what was going on. They saw their church emptying, and they saw Jesus' church filling up, uh, you know, in other words. And so are they trying to place a wedge between John and Jesus? Are they trying to get John kind of riled up and wanting to have some kind of controversy? Because a lot of people thrive on controversy. They can't stand if there's not something going on all the time. I know several people that way. And if there's not some kind of turmoil or strife or uh, something going on in their life, they're, they're unhappy. So they'll create a problem. They'll say, I guess you heard. I guess you know about this. I'm getting... That irritates me. <laughs> Somebody's always got to stir something up, something that stinks. Now, John's ministry had been wildly popular for many years, uh, at, least, at least three or, or so. And since Jesus came on the scene, John's ministry now, the numbers are dwindling. And this is causing some people to be upset, it appears. And that's another thing that too many people get themselves wrapped up in is popularity and numbers and crowds. I mean, it's ridiculous. There is a common misconception that the more people you can gather, the, the more uh, successful you are. People relate large numbers of people with success for some reason. Uh, whether it's how many people's in the pew, how many cars are in the parking lot, how many chairs you had to bring out. You know, how many uh, dollars are in the offering plate? And people look at that and their eyes go big and they say, wow, look at that. Yeah. They get all wrapped up in the numbers. Uh, I remember when uh, our former church, when I took it over, we had about 10 people. And uh, before uh, before the pastor before me was there, the, the second pastor before me that had been there 20 years, they, they, they ran, you know, 150 in Sunday, Sunday school and sometimes 200 people. And then another pastor came along and half, half the people left. And then more of those left. And by the time he was asked to resign, um, there was ten, about 10 people left. And they asked me to, to step up and I felt the Lord lead me there. And we preached there for eight years. But in that eight years I was there, we saw some growth, small growth. It wasn't a lot. 
but the thing that always got me was these people that had seen the past and saw all the numbers of people that used to come 10 years ago, you know, they would just go on and on about, oh, there's just nobody here. It's so empty. Oh, look at these empty pews. And so we had a homecoming, and I invited that pastor that when there used to be 150 people to come. And when I did that, then all those people that left came. And so the people that were still at the church was going, Oh, Brother Byron, this is how it's supposed to be. Look at all these people. And they get so caught up in people and, and numbers and everything. And really, the gospel becomes second place to them. It's more about popularity, numbers. How many people can we pack in here? I can't stand that pew packing thing that a lot of people throw. Listen, sadly, churches have fallen for the lie, and they're modeling themselves after the world's thoughts and the world's means and the world's theology and how the world thinks of success. Listen, God doesn't measure the success of a church or a ministry or a pastor or, or anything to do with him on the, the same way that the world measures it. In fact, the Bible tells us, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've, I've preached that message I don't know how many times. We are measured by how closely we resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our success level. When God looks out on the people and he's looking for someone that's doing right, he's measuring them up to his son Jesus, not to how many people they got in the crowd. If you remember when Jesus was being uh, put on trial, multitudes of people out there, and what were they yelling out? Crucify him. That's where people get you. That's where numbers will get you. And when it came to the end, all those people that had flocked Jesus, all those those times he was going around and, and doing the healing and, and the raising of the dead, all those people, they went away. And he was left with what? The, the 12 and eventually 11. And so, you know, don't get wrapped up in the numbers. Fortunately, John the Baptist didn't see it the way the world sees it, or even those that came along trying to stir up a stink or whatever they're trying to do at this point. You know, they're falling after him. They're all leaving over here and they're going over there. You know, John, it doesn't matter to him. In fact, he's glad about it. His answer is one of the most humble answers in all of human recorded history. Look at it, verses 27 through 30. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. Verse 30, underline it if you've not already. He must increase but I must decrease. John the Baptist does not have one selfish bone in his body. He isn't the least bit worried about his ministry or, or uh, any of the things that he's done in the past. Uh, all he is concerned about is he's done his job. His job's over. His ministry's ended. He has done what God has asked him to do. He prepared the way for the one that was coming. 
He was not jealous that Jesus was gathering crowds. He was not jealous that his pews were empty and Jesus's were full. Uh, he didn't care that people were following him. That's exactly what he wanted. That's what he's been preaching. I like there what he's mentioned there about the uh, bridegroom. He said, he that hath the bridegroom, or the bride, is the bridegroom. Friends, the bride is the church. Jesus is the bridegroom. If you've not ever understood that, that's just the truth. You and me, were the bride of Christ. That makes Christ the bridegroom. When I married my wife, she was the bride. I was the bridegroom. Groom to the bride. <laughs> and so when Christ came, comes back for his church, the church is the bride. He's the bridegroom. And we'll have a marriage feast. And people stop thinking about it in the fleshly way. This is a spiritual matter we're talking about. The spiritual matter of the church being the bride of Christ and Christ being the bridegroom. And listen, you've got to be wearing your wedding garment if you're going to participate in, in the marriage feast. If you're going to expect to ever be in heaven and rejoicing and seeing your friends that's gone on that were saved, if you think you're going to be there, you've got to be wearing the proper wedding garment because you can have no part in that marriage feast without the proper garment. When the king comes and presents his son, which is the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, when the king comes, you've got to be wearing that uh, wedding garment. You've got to be clothed in Christ. The Bible says those not wearing that wedding garment will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You'll find that in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, if you want to reference it. But I like that part where he talks about being the friend of the bridegroom. The friend. John compares himself to... As a friend of the bridegroom, we would call him the best man. So imagine John the Baptist is the best man. Jesus is the bridegroom. And, of course, the church is the bride. Uh, just think of it in that way. The, the best man is there to assist the groom. He's not there to get the attention. The best man comes and he, he's got the ring to, to hand him. He's, he makes sure the, the groom has all he needs and everything. He's not up there trying to be noticed by everybody else. Now, some might act that way. Some foolish people may act that way. But the best man's not to be noticed. He's not to stand out. He's not to get chuckles and giggles and, and all this stuff. He's not there for any of that. The attention is to be on the bride and the bridegroom. And so if you're a friend of the bridegroom, you're the best man. You're there to make sure that everything's prepared. You've got everything ready for him. He don't have to worry about a thing. That's what John the Baptist has done. John's saying, I'm nothing more than the best man at the wedding. And Christ is the bridegroom, and he should be getting all the attention. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, John the Baptist was really the epitome of humbleness. I don't think we can quite grasp how popular John was during the heyday of his ministry. He was the most popular preacher probably in existence since the Old Testament Elijah and Jeremiah, those men. They weren't popular, if you want to call it, in the world's eyes, but they were known. John was known. Uh, even the religious leaders of the day, those that didn't even believe his message, the scribes, the Pharisees, they came out to hear John preach. He was that popular. And not only was that popular for them for that, but they came to him. He didn't go to them. And he didn't set up some place and, you know, hand out signs and things. People just heard that voice crying out in the wilderness. 
He did the exact opposite of what you're taught in seminary today. To go and find the best place in the best city and the big, biggest building and all this stuff. You know, that's what they teach you today. John said, nah, I'm just going, I'm just going out here in the, in the wilderness. I'm going to preach Christ. And people came out in, in flocks to hear him preach. So he was very, very popular. Um, but even with those religious people that came out to hear him, he didn't water down the message. He didn't try to make them happy and try to say things to please them. In fact, he gave the most blistering sermons to anyone that you'll read about in the Bible to those religious people. Matthew 3 and 7, he said to them, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So, these pious religious leaders coming out there in all their fine holy garments and everything, standing there to watch this this ruffian out in the wilderness preaching, you know, he he looks at them as you call them a generation of vipers. Yeah. So you better believe that uh, that didn't settle well with them. Uh, John the Baptist upset so many of them, especially King Herod, uh, that of course he was later beheaded for it. So if anybody had hit what we call the big time, you know, it's what people say, you know, he's hit the big time. It was John the Baptist. He had hit the big time. He was the hottest preacher of the day. And then along came Jesus. And everything changed. Now, to most self-inflated, huge ego, narcissistic, popular preachers of today, their cages would have been rattled. They would have, when Jesus showed up, they would have been so upset when they saw people coming out of their church and going over to the other one, this would put a big damper on their service. It mean they'd have to drop off of Oprah Winfrey's bookseller list. Uh, they'd have to cut down on all their TV appearances now because nobody wants to hear them speak. And so, uh, look, a few things about John the Baptist we'll finish. I got about five things I want to I point out about him. John the Baptist's ministry was not about himself. It was about Jesus. We've already studied, but in John 1 and 22, the Bible said, Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they said, uh, which were sent, were the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptize thou thus baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet, shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. So, nothing about John's uh, message or life was about himself. The only thing he said about himself was, he was the one that was called to prepare the way. That was all John ever said about himself. And he even said, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to, to latch up this man's shoes. I am absolutely nothing. Have you ever noticed, though, that a lot of preachers, everything that, that comes out of their mouths about themselves, it's about me, myself, and I. And they just go on and on and on. They've got to brag about what they've done or where they've went or, or who they know. Uh, there, that's another thing that really gets. I'm, I'm one of those moves today where all my, my little uh, pet peeves are coming out. Uh, I had a, uh, 
I agreed to, to hold this service at, at our previous church. Um, at one time, it was it was a it was a pretty big deal, and the guy that was over it asked me to do it. He said he'd advertise, he'd have people there, and we'd you know fill the place up, and we'd have all this good time. So, and and there was like a month or two notice before it, and so I said, okay, I'll I'll have it at our church, and came down to the time to have it, and there was about twenty people showed up. Whereas at his church and other places he'd had this meeting, there was hundreds that would come. So these about 20 people showed up. And uh, we went through it, and I, I even asked my brother-in-law, he come all the way from North Carolina, come down here, and uh, he was a guest speaker, did a wonderful job, and uh, there, there was just a few of us there. And when it was over, at the end of it, all these that did show up with the guy that asked me to throw it all got in this circle together and started talking, asking how, how many of y'all run? How many of y'all got down there? How many of you got? And all this stuff. And Oh, do you know this guy? Do you know that one? Do you know that? And they just going on and on and on about all this ridiculous stuff that meant nothing. It was all about themselves. And so look, John the Baptist his ministry was about Jesus, and that was it. And that's what our ministry needs to be about. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter if there's one person that comes to hear you, or if there's a hundred, or if there's a thousand, it doesn't matter. And by the way, my preaching don't change. It don't matter how many people's out there. It doesn't matter to me at all. And so, uh, John didn't say, you mean you don't know who I am? That He didn't say that. Uh, when they come and ask him who he was, he could have said, you don't... You mean to tell me you don't know who I am? <laughs> no, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about the crowds. It wasn't about anything. Secondly, John the Baptist didn't compete in his ministry. In our opening text there, we read his disciples came to him and said, uh, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptize us, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. He didn't say, well, I've got to do something about this. Well, we're going to have to start offering this in our service. You know, let's start selling hot dogs and coffee in, in the, you know, in the foyer and see if we can't outdo him. Or this is my part of town. What in the world is he doing setting up here because he knows this is where I preach at? Maybe, you know, he could have said, well, he, this is what most people say. He's probably a compromiser. He's probably not teaching the truth over there. You know? Uh, there's no way he's doing as good as I am. John didn't do any of that. He simply said a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. So, by all means, if, if he's doing good, uh, that's fine. There's no competition, no backbiting, no jealousy, no getting on the phone, tearing down another man's ministry, not getting on social media, Facebook and Twitter and, and tearing them down and saying how terrible it is and all this stuff. John wasn't like that. He didn't compete in the ministry. And we should not compete in the ministry as men today. I'm not jealous of another pastor and, and how many people he's got or, or whatever. I don't care how big his building is. I'd like to have a building instead of being here in our home uh, having service, but I'm not jealous over it. It doesn't matter. I've, I've preached in big building before. And let me tell you this, a big building with only a few people in it is not a very nice place to be. <laughs> I'd rather been in a small place with, uh, with only 25, 30 people. Uh, but anyway, 
uh, John didn't compete in the ministry. Thirdly, John the Baptist, he praised others and not himself. Over in Mark chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says, And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preach, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. See that? He wasn't praising himself. He praised Jesus. He didn't say, well, <clears throat> I am older and I am wiser, and I've been doing this a lot longer than he has. I've been preaching much longer. He, he can't do it as good as me. No, he said, he is much mightier than me. Uh, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and, and tie the man's shoelaces. I, I, I'm nothing. And that's opposite of how most men act today. Most men today, they want to be lifted up. They want to have praise heaped on them. They want to be exalted. And uh, if they see somebody else get more attention, they get jealous. And they want to start trying to make themselves look better. And so uh, John the Baptist wasn't like that at all. All his praise was upon the Lord Jesus. Fourthly, John the Baptist was a man of prayer. Now, we don't read a lot about his, his prayer life in here. Uh, mostly we see about his baptism. But we do know that he was a man of prayer because in Luke 11 and 1, the Bible says, and it came to pass that as he was praying, this is Jesus was praying. This is about his, his, Jesus and his disciples. When he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So it was known that uh, John taught his disciples to pray, and so they were praying men. And the disciples of Jesus says, we want to be that way. We want to know how to do this and pray uh, like this. And so throughout your Bible, you'll find people that God blesses uh, when, he, when his people start praying, and when they stop praying, we see their blessings being withheld. We see that throughout the Bible. Uh, John the Baptist was born to announce the Savior of the world. He had the Holy Spirit in the womb. Remember, the babe leaped in the womb. That was John. If anybody could have done without praying, we'd think it would probably have been John, you know. But no, John saw the need for prayer, and he taught other people to pray as well. And the fifth and final thing I want to point about John the Baptist is John wanted to lift up Jesus, and he did not want to lift up himself. Again, in our text in verse 30, he must increase but I must decrease. Now, every time I read that, you know what I want to do? I want to go, and I must decrease. We used to have a preacher that every time uh, he prayed, he'd say, Lord, hide me behind the cross. And I always thought about him standing you know, behind a cross and uh, preaching. But uh, the Bible says there, John said, listen, I must, or he must increase. I must decrease. Jesus said in John 12 and 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And what did John say? He must increase. In other words, he must be lifted up. That man must be exalted. Jesus must be lifted up above all. Pay no attention to me. I'm, I'm getting out of the way. And I, I've got to decrease. So quit looking toward me. Look toward him. I'm saddened today by the number of people that think they have to be the center of attention. There are so many people that are so desperate for people to see them. Uh, it's, it's pathetic. And some will go to great lengths to be noticed. I notice that 
I know some people that get mad if the preacher don't mention their name while he's preaching. Now, if that's not pathetic, I don't know what is. I don't want you mentioning my name while you're preaching. I, you know, sometimes I talk about my family or something, or I'll mention Brother Jonathan or something. But I'm not up there trying to exalt people. But there's some people that I'm there. I'm serious. They get mad if they're not mentioned by the preacher while he's preaching. And when he does mention them, they just they gush. They go <laughs> and go tell people he he talked about me today in the in the message. You know. Listen, if you feel the need to be more important than Jesus, I'd ask you to leave right now. There's no need for you to be here. If all the if all you're concerned about is yourself, if that's why you're here, you need to go start your own church and and and, and dedicate it to yourself and just uh, talk about yourself. And so, uh, listen, Jesus must be the focus of our attention. He must increase. We must decrease. Jesus is to be exalted this morning. He's to be lifted up. He's to be praised, not us. John the Baptist, he did exactly what he was born to do. That John was born to be the forerunner of Christ. He was born to lift Jesus up. He was born to make sure that Jesus increased and that he would decrease. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Thank you, Lord, for the truths in your word. Lord, I'm praying today that we're always remembering that you are the sole focus of us, Lord. It's not about us. It's not about getting attention for ourselves, Lord, or, or to build up numbers and all this just to see growth. But God, our focus is to be upon you, uh, your message, God, the gospel. And Lord, we're praying today that you help us and always keep us in line. Lord, show us when we fail. And God, we want to make sure that anything that we do, Lord, you get all the glory for it. And Lord, that, that we can stay out of the way. Lord, may you be increased and may we decrease. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus and amen. All right. Well, don't forget um, your father today. If he's living, you need to go see him, be with him. Um, because when he's gone, um, that's it. You only have one dad. And so uh, I'm thankful for mine. If uh, your dad has passed away, uh, understand mine passed away seven years ago. Um, and so I missed him. I miss him terribly. Uh, I'm thankful that I am a dad. And my children, I know they love me. I love them. and uh, We're going to celebrate today. We're going to have a big meal. Mary's fixed up a bunch of stuff. and going to have a good time. And uh, I just hope everybody else does too. All right. So all hearts and minds clear. In fear of the Lord, we're separating. Mm -hmm.